Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, hey, hey. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna oh, freeze. Wait. <laughs> Tonight at the main event, what do we have? Who do we have? You know what it is. It's Taco Tuesday. It's another edition of the Points in the Pain podcast. Ben Wittenstein. And Zach Badger House. And Zach, uh, it is finally playoff time. There's so much going on. We've got playoffs. We've got drama with the Suns. We've got play-in game drama. And we have a guest today in the form of Nate Jacobson who's going to tell us how to win our bets for the playoffs. So we have a lot to talk about this week. Yes, we certainly do. We got all the NBA bubble playoff matchups all squared away from both sides, both East and West. After that playoff game, that great playoff game. I know you watch that playoff game down to the wire because it was pretty tight. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We can, um, you know, we have all of these. We have the bubble playoff matchups that we want to go through. Let's just quickly talk about that game because it was a lot of fun. We had Portland, the Grizzlies. And at least at the beginning, it seemed like Portland was going to blow them out. And I think a lot of people, especially a lot of betters, expected Portland to blow out the Grizzlies. But for whatever reason, the Grizzlies played really well. Ja played tremendously. Valanchunas played really well down low. Um, he couldn't really keep Nurkic in check, but that was a whole other story with Nurkic oh, having yeah. 15 points and 17 rebounds by halftime. But the Blazers were able to do it. Carmelo Anthony showing up at the end of the game. And they're going to move on to play the Lakers. But all in all, it was a really fun and really entertaining game. Definitely fun and entertaining. Uh, John Morant showed a lot of heart, specifically in the second half, uh, attacking the basket, showing his three-point shot in the second half, uh, having confidence to shoot that, attacking the basket at times. It was wonderful to see his improvement in that game. And obviously, Dame and CJ post game gave him uh, a shout out. But one guy that in that game that stood out for me and the reason why Memphis stayed in the game to the end for me was Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark off the bench, 20 points, 8 of 11 from the field, 4 of 5 from downtown. And he was just making so many shots at the right time for them. Him and Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks also had 20 points, too, as well. Those two guys were making shots at the right time in that game to really put the Portland Trailblazers on their eggshells. Yeah, we know, and it seems like the way that Memphis is built, we know that Ja's going to, at least he has the shot to be the next NBA superstar in the next you know half decade or so. And you've got Jaron Jackson, who's hurt right now, but he'll be back next season, and he's going to be a star in his own right. And so now you have guys, as you said, Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, those are two incredibly important players for the Grizzlies going forward because they're just as young as John Jaron. They're going to be incredibly important role players, and they bring to the table stuff that Ja and Jaron 
both kind of lack, which is, you know, consistent three-point shooting, really good defense. And they're kind of those very important role players that are in between being role players and stars of a team in a way. And then having a guy like JV, you know, Valachunas, having him out there at the front court, front center, he having that experience from being in Toronto, it definitely gives them that extra edge, you know, because they're a young team with Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark, John Morant, and uh, Jaron Jackson. You know, they're a pretty young core. Having a guy like Valanchunas right front and center definitely gives them an advantage looking forward into the next season. Yeah, so it was definitely a tough game for them to lose, for them to drop. They weren't 100% healthy, so it was understandable that they couldn't pull through. But their future is extraordinarily bright, and it's nice to see the Blazers getting into the playoffs. And, Zach, let's talk about the playoffs now, because this is what's going to be happening for the next month or so in the NBA. We've got day playoff games, which I'm very excited for. We've got night playoff games, all-day NBA playoffs. Um, For the first of the big three. The big three. Let's start with the Eastern Conference, because that seems a little bit less messy than what I expect the Western Conference to be. But the 1-8 seed, the 1-8 matchup, the Bucks and the Magic. I, I mean, I'd, do the Magic even win one game here? I know the Bucks, and I've talked about the Bucks looking beatable, but it, it is the Magic. Yeah, it is definitely Orlando, and they're going to be without Jonathan Isaac. That's someone that they probably would have thrown at Giannis Antetokounmpo, obviously. You know, a guy like Greek who's averaged 26, 15, and 8, you know, in his uh, games against the Orlando Magic. So he's shown his ability to be able to be versatile on the floor, whether it's on the defensive side of the ball or being able to distribute, you know, against the Orlando Magic. And so they don't have Jonathan Isaac, so they'll probably be throwing Aaron Gordon on him, which will probably be a mismatch <laughs> considering that. Oh, yeah. Considering that they're going to need they're going to need post presence with a guy like Brooke Lopez down there with obviously uh, Vucevic. But they're going to need someone to be able to draw other bodies at Giannis. And I don't think they're going to have enough to be able to stop him or the, you know, the obviously the good core of the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect this to go more than five games, if it even does go five games. Giannis is pissed. He is upset, and you can clearly <laughs> tell he was he's headbutting Mo, Mo Wagner. He's just upset with the way I think his team is playing and with the way he's playing. And the Bucks have a lot of issues they need to figure out once they get in the second round of the playoffs. But they may take this series to kind of figure out some of the issues that they've been having, and namely playing better down in the clutch and figuring out some other offensive options that aren't Giannis. And even you, you bring up the offense, but for me, it's the defense. I think Brooke Lopez, who sat in most of the uh, Bucks games, if not all of them, without when he did sit, Brooke Lopez, you know, they're a minus 12 in terms of defense and they're a plus 8.9 when he's on the floor. So they really need to have Brooke Lopez on a defensive end to really have that impact in this series and obviously into the second round as well. Yeah, they, they definitely do. And they need they need not to have playoff Bledsoe show up. Uh Oh, I knew you were going to say it. (laughs) They they need to have Eric Bledsoe play well, and they need Middleton to be more consistent because there are going to be teams. If the Bucks do make a deep playoff run, they're going to be teams that are going to figure out how to stop Giannis and Middleton. People have made the case. You know, I've heard people say Middleton's a top 20 player. Middleton is is a superstar in the league. Well, he needs to, he needs to show it. He needs to show that he can step up. If Giannis is, is being clamped down on defensive end. Oh, yeah. You know, we've we've talked about it previously on podcasts about how Chris Middleton definitely can't be the guy with 17, 18 points a game in the playoffs. We need 22 to 25 points every night come playoff time. You have to be able to give Giannis that second uh, offensive option so he can take less pressure off of him. 
Yeah, you really do. All right, we'll we'll move to the uh, to the next the two seven matchup Raptors Nets. Again, another series that I probably don't see going on for too long. The Raptors stumbling a little bit towards the end of their eight games, and the Nets actually looked solid. But I mean, it's the Raptors. They they have an incredibly deep bench. Nick Nurse is a great coach. I don't really see them having any issues with the Nets. Yeah, they're going to definitely have to stop their uh, top offensive threat for the Raptors, that being Pascal Siakam, Mr. Spicy P, who I believe is going to uh, take a huge lift and up and up, up his points and his stats oh, yeah. come playoff time for the uh, Toronto Raptors. And obviously you got Fred Van Fleet. He's going to play well. You got OG Ananobi. He's going to play well. He's going to play extremely well on the defensive side. Yeah, outside of Karis LeVert for the Brooklyn Nets, you really don't have too many scoring options to really compete with a fully loaded Toronto Raptors team in the playoffs. You don't. And Joe Harris is the only other guy that can really score consistently for them, and even he can't score in large bunches. He's good for maybe making a small run for the Nets, you know, hitting two threes in a row, that something like that. But he's not capable of sustaining a comeback all by himself or even carrying the team down the stretch. He's a very good three-point shooter. I mean, he led the league in three-point shooting uh, two years ago, I think. So he's a capable scorer, but he's not going to be the one that helps the Nets beat the Raptors. This this should be a pretty easy Raptors series. Um, but some of the difficult ones in the East, Celtics 76ers, that 3-6 matchup, maybe we'll get something interesting from the 76ers without Ben Simmons. Mm, obviously, and that's the thing, Ben. I remember I was watching the Philadelphia 76ers, and I remember hearing Charles Barkley say that Joel Embiid, for them, for the 76ers to win this series, Joel Embiid has to be the best player on the floor, on both sides of the floor throughout the entire series, like without question. He has to just flat out, yeah, he just has to flat out dominate for them to even have a chance. Like that's the way he described it. And I would actually agree with, with Chuck because Joel has to be the one who gets 30 and 12 or 30 and 15 a night. I remember Shaq saying that too. He has to be the guy for the uh, Philadelphia 76ers to lead them in order for them to be able to compete with the Boston Celtics. Because if you got Tobias Harris, who's struggled in the bubble, and you got Al Al Horford, who struggled in the bubble, and Josh Richardson, who had a few good games throughout the bubble, but he's been kind of on the struggle side. And they've struggled on the offensive side of the ball, too, as well, especially without having Ben Simmons. Embiid definitely has to be the best player on the floor for them to have a shot. Okay, but do you you trust that? Because the reason I said yikes was – we know Joel can can get he can easily get 30 and 20 if he wanted, if but he wanted, we yeah. haven't seen him. We haven't seen him do that consistently enough. I, I don't really trust him to do that. Maybe he just turns that on another level for the playoffs. But we I don't know. I just don't trust him to be able to do that as consistently as he needs to be able to do it. Well, he has to look at the matchup in the Boston Celtics series. He has to, he has to be able to look at it and say, who can guard me? Like who can honestly guard me? They're gonna double. They're gonna do their best. The Boston Celtics are gonna do their best to double team uh, Joel Embiid and really stop him from being able to score at will because they don't really have that much size. I mean, obviously they got Ennis Canner and they got uh, Aaron Baines, but they don't really have too much size in terms of like talented size to really compete with Joel Embiid. And so Joel Embiid needs to know that like the jump shots gotta go. You know, the 17-footers got to go. The three-point shots got to go. You got to get on the block, Joel. It's the playoff time. No more shooting threes or anything like that. You got to get in the paint and get on the block and really try to dominate those guys and force the double team so other guys around him will be able to make shots. I'm interested to see when you flip that, right? When he's on the defensive side of the ball, it'll be interesting to see if the Celtics just attack, attack, attack him and and try to get him into foul trouble because – with how big he is, and I mean, he he's quick on the defensive side of the ball, and he's long, but a lot of these guys, Brown and Tatum and, and even Gordon Hayward, are very good at getting the fouls called. 
So I, of, it might be interesting to, to see if that that's a strategy they use. And speaking of Gordon Hayward, he's been terrific overall in Orlando, but his aggression is what really stands out because his last seven games, he's been able to up his free throw attempts. So he's really been attacking the uh attacking the basket at will throughout the bubble he's actually doubled his free throw attempts while being in the bubble and that says a lot of confidence about gordon hayward in the play moving into the playoffs because that's a guy who suffered an injury and you know he didn't have a starting job really like that anymore it's kind of like a jalen brown jason tatum on the wing sort of thing and maybe they'll throw a gordon hayward out there and put jason tatum at the four with kimber walker you know but Having that Gordon Hayward uh, guy like that with the ability to attack the basket the way he has throughout the bubble, that puts them over the top in terms of putting that pressure on Philly in terms of the interior. So it seems like the Celtics probably should win this series. And, yeah. and Philly may make it interesting. If if Embiid plays out of his mind every single game, it'll, it'll go six at least probably. Yeah, I can say it'll go six. I mean, but offensively with the Boston Celtics, we all know they have that high offensive uh, efficient rate over there with obviously Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Kimba Walker, who we hope is going to be fully healthy. You know, he's lingering with that that knee injury. So we hope we get a fully healthy Kimba Walker. And that'll really put a lot of pressure on the Celtics from that guard position because they don't have Ben Simmons. And if they had Ben Simmons, it probably would have been a more difficult series for a guy like Kimba Walker being on. He's only like six feet tall at most. And, you know, obviously Ben Simmons is like 6'10 at playing the point. So it would have been a tougher matchup in that regard. But I think it makes it easier on a, for, the, for the offense for Boston. Yeah, I don't like the Celtics, but I do. I would love to see Kemba win a ring. I would love to see Kemba win a ring. Well, I think they'll at least, you know, escape out of this series if it goes six or maybe even five. I think they'll yeah. be able to take care of business if, like I said, if Joel doesn't dominate on both sides of the ball for the entire series. All right. The final matchup in the East is the probably the more most difficult one to predict. You got the Pacers and the Heat, <laughs> TJ Warren versus Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy Butler was downplaying his uh, feud with Jim, with uh, TJ Warren earlier this week so maybe maybe they won't go at it as much but you would hope with some playoff basketball on the line that they're gonna have it ramped up to 10 and i just it's it's hard to pick this series the pacers have looked really good at times and so have the heat and both these teams have also looked really bad at times i think the pacers in this series will definitely miss sabonis they're gonna miss sabonis in this series and you're going to see it because they're going to have because you're going to see a guy like Bam out of bio. He's going to play extremely well and he's going to be on the perimeter and he's going to be the one getting guys involved because he's a guy that's getting four or five assists a game along with uh, Jimmy Butler, too, as well. So those are the two guys that are really fac- doing the facilitating for the for the Miami Heat. And then you got Kendrick Nunn, who's he's going to step up and you got a guy like Derrick Jones Jr., who we seen get hurt. And we hope that he'll be able to come back and be able to perform and, you know, give that front court that extra lift that they'll need to get over Indiana, who's lacking at size because they don't have Sabonis. Yeah, he's definitely important to that team. And, and I, I mean, I think the Heat are going to be the winners in this one, but it's so tough to count out the Pacers because Nate McMillan, their coach, just gets them ready for every single game. And there are times where that defense really steps it up. They get their scoring and they play really, really tight defense down the stretch. And they'll get the win. So I can see the Heat falling behind really early on. And that's a thing that they have been known to do, especially in the bubble, is they kind of early. And then the Pacers being able to hold the lead. But 
it's it's going to come down to I think how well Jimmy Butler plays and, and how well TJ Warren plays. It, it is weird how, how simple that is and kind of how poetic it is, but I, I really do think that's how this series comes down to is how well the two the team's best players play and Oladipo is in theory the Pacers best player but right now it's TJ Warren and the way he's playing and how healthy he is yeah it all depends on yeah it depends yeah I like how you brought up the fact that Victor Oladipo hasn't been the key player but we know like come playoff time we will be able to probably see him probably take his game up another level and put that added pressure on the Miami defense. Now, on the other side for Miami, I'll say this, you know, they shot a league high uh, 38% from three this season. And so Indiana must be able to find shooters to match, you know, Miami, you got Duncan Robinson, who's going to be capable of going on a six Oh run by himself. You know, he's one of the league top shooters and, you know, he set obviously records for Miami this season in terms of shooting the three ball. And so, at any moment, you can have a guy like Duncan Robinson go, take you on a 6-0 run and put put a lot of pressure on you if you're Indiana. Yeah, he's Duncan Robinson is so interesting, and we talked with Amina Smith uh, last week about this. Is he, he's interesting because he's a run killer and he's a run starter. So if you're scoring good <laughs> points around a 6-0-7-0 run, Duncan Robinson can stop that in his tracks with a quick three-pointer. He can also start a run. I mean, we've seen him go off two, three three-pointers in a row to pull the heat ahead and, and they take the lead and they don't give it back. So he, I mean, we talk about Jimmy Butler, we talk about Bam Adebayo, but Duncan Robinson, I think is one of the more crucial players in this series or for the heat in general. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, let's go to the Western conference for our second of the big three. The big three. West Zach, it gets, it gets a little more sticky around, around the Western conference. Not, not as many surefire matchups. I think it's harder to predict. And, the 1-8 matchup, we could start with that. The one that was easy to predict in the East is going to be the Lakers and Trailblazers in the West. And I think there's a lot of people out there who are going to say, Charles Barkley included, that would say the Trailblazers can win the series. Yeah, they're saying it. A lot. Of, see, this this series is, is a on-the-fence sort of series is because of the way the Portland Trailblazers have played as of late versus how poorly the Lakers have looked in the bubble. And some people are saying, well, you can't look into it too hard because the Lakers were the number one seed. And once they clinched the number one seed, they really didn't have that extra push or motivation left to really have those other games in the bubble to play at a high level. To counter that, you still want to have those reps and still want to be able to play extremely well. Like we can't have Anthony Davis go out and have 40 and then come out the next game and have nine. You can't have that kind of balance. You know, you got to be able to have consistency in the playoffs to really be able to push and make that playoff run that the Lakers truly want to make. And then on the other side, you got the Blazers, like like we said, they've played extremely well. Uh, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, uh, Carmelo Anthony, Nurk has just had a 2020 game. And so Blazers are going to look look like a team that's supposed to be a four or five seed and they're currently an eight seed. So we get your popcorn ready, everyone, because oh, this yeah. This series, I personally believe, can go six. Now, you hear this, you hear the buzz on social media, people always saying Lakers and four, Lakers and four. It doesn't matter. They have two of the top five players in in the in the NBA. But mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter when you got a guy like Damian Litter playing in the bubble the way that he has played. Oh yeah. And that's the thing too with the Blazers is usually if you're a team that plays as terrible of defense as the Blazers play, you you usually say before the playoffs you have to tighten it up. You have to just give up fewer points. But when you have Damian Lillard, you can afford to not have to concentrate so much on the defensive side of the ball because he has the ability to bring you back from a good amount of deficits. Now, that's not to say the Blazers need to work on their defense because 
if they play defense the way they played in the bubble so far against the Lakers, they're they're going to be out in four just because of how horrendous they play defense. So they're going to have to tighten it up a little bit with that. But when you have Dame, you you just really can't count Portland out no matter how much they're losing by. Yeah, you can't. And then on the on the flip side, you bring up the defense. One of the things in particular that they especially have to work on is rebounding coming into this series. If they do not attack the glass, they're going to need to get Carmelo Anthony away from the perimeter and put him more so down low and put him around the paint so he could be able to get more rebounds. Carmelo Anthony in this series should average seven to eight rebounds in, like in this series because they need guys on the glass it can't solely be Nurkic or it can't be Whiteside coming off the bench they really have to attack the glass otherwise there's going to be a lot of offensive and second chance opportunities for the Lakers with Dwight Howard Anthony Davis and even JaVale McGee yeah well Whiteside's going to be incredibly important in this series his rebounding he can be someone who just sucks who sucks the basketball up easily around the basket and if he's in foul trouble or he's not playing well, they're going to struggle with the boards. They really are. And that's going to be a huge key to this game. So Lakers Blazers, I think, is going to be a lot of fun. And we'll be talking about it more next week when we see them actually play. Um, but we'll move on to the next series, which is Clippers Mavericks, a series I'll talk about a little bit later for some of the picks. But I think this is going to be an incredibly fun series. And you brought this up before we started with Luka struggling against the Clippers, which makes sense because of how good they can be defensively with three very above average NBA defenders. So this could go a couple ways with this series. I mean, the Clippers can blow them out or the Mavericks can make it close. Yeah, the Mavericks could possibly make it close. But the key player for the series for me is Porzingis. Porzingis has to play lights out in this series. He has to get all the pressure off of Luka because so much attention will be on Luka in this series that Luka, I mean, that, uh, Porzingis will definitely have to take that added pressure off. He's going to be able to get down low and, and put Montrez Harold in foul trouble because he's seven three. You know, like you got to yeah. be able to, you got to add that pressure on the Clippers defense to be able to take that pressure off of Luka Doncic on the offensive on on his offense. You know, and the problem is with Porzingis too is he's not a pure rebounder. Yeah, and that's one of the Clippers weaknesses is they especially during the season before the bubble started was they really struggled on the glass they struggled especially on the defensive side of the glass and that's one of the reasons the reason probably why they brought in Joakim Noah so he may help them out a little bit come playoff time with the rebounds but if the Mavericks really want to hit the Clippers they need to play a little bit taller which is kind of the antithesis of what they usually do because they do like to play smaller so they can spread them out and and fire three-point shots but the boards is, I think, where the Mavericks can have a shot at at least making this a series against the Clippers, because if Porzingis is getting rebounds, uh, he's going to be able to kick it out or he's going to be dangerous down low. So that is a point of emphasis where I think that they need to focus on against the Clips. Yeah. And don't expect a lot of defense in this series. I expect a lot of points. You know, the Mavs, oh, yeah. they, average, they average 116, Clippers average 114. So I definitely expect a lot of points. And I'll be I'll even be asking Nate later on if you if expect a lot of overs in that series, too, as well. Oh, because yeah. I think I think both teams will be able to produce a lot of points. But I think the Clippers come out top in this series. It may go six. And I, you said it may go seven. So that's very interesting. We'll really have to see what really happens. And you mentioned the overs. This is the next series is going to be all unders with the Nuggets <laughs> and the Jazz. Two very slow paced teams and uh, not high volume scoring with the Nuggets and the Jazz. The three and the six matchup. And Mike Conley left the bubble for the birth of his kids. So he's going to be out for the first couple of games. 
Um, the Nuggets are missing Barton. I know that, at least for their first game on Monday when this comes out. They're going to be missing Barton and Gary Harris, so they're going to be struggling with injuries for themselves. So these are two not 100% teams, but the Nuggets have Jokic, the Jazz have Mitchell and, and Rudy Gobert, so there's still star power here. But it's definitely going to be slower-paced games. Uh, the Nuggets love to run the shot clock down to, to as low as they can get, and, and the Jazz do that too sometimes. So this is going to be a more grinded-out series, in my opinion. A more grounded out series. And this is the series that I feel like for sure will go seven games because both teams aren't fully, you know, aren't fully healthy. Like you said, Barton's out, Harris is out and Conley's not going to be there for the for the first few games. And so like this, this was going to be a tight battle. And the battle that I'm looking forward to is Rudy Gobert versus Jokic. You know, both of these guys have played pretty decent against each other, you know, but the key player in this matchup. The key player in this matchup being is Michael Porter Jr. In the bubble, yeah, in the bubble, he, yeah, he's averaged 22 points, shot 55% from the field, 40 from beyond the arc. You know, he's played really well with the absence of, you know, Jamal Murray at times and even obviously Gary Harris, like we mentioned. If he can maintain that level of production, production the, the Nuggets are going to be a scary team in the playoffs. They will. And that's the thing is he so dangerous offensively and I just don't I mean who on the jazz really has the ability to guard him through every possession the the 610 three-point shooting Michael Porter Jr. who's I mean he's not light speed fast but he can get to the basket and defense is really his big weakness so offensively he can be a huge threat and I just don't know who on the jazz is going to be able to to step it up and, and close it out on him for for every game in the series now this next series, ooh-wee. First of Our all, favorite. Ben, listen, this is the one. This is the one, baby. This is the one, <laughs> Ben. This is the one. This is the one we wanted. This it is, was. This is the series we wanted all season. We talked about it on the podcast all season. And I kept saying it. What if the Thunder catch the Rockets and they got to play them in the first round? And look what God has given us, Dan. He <laughs> has gave us the prayer we asked for. The mm-hmm. Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Houston Rockets. We talked about this when February, February, maybe even in January, <laughs> we were talking about we wanted the Rockets and the Thunder because you've got everything you could wish for, especially for us, because we are very big on that Thunder bandwagon and we'd yep. love to see James Harden knocked down to the playoffs. So I think First that would round. be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that would be tremendous. You got Westbrook and Harden facing their old team against the Thunder. You got Chris Paul thrown in there. Shea Gilgis Alexander, the young gun there. It's going to be an extraordinarily fun series. And I'm in like. If it goes seven, that would be tremendous. I don't think it'll go seven, but I mean, the Thunder, I think, are one of those teams that isn't immune to the way the Rockets play defense, but I do think that they are more suited than some other teams because what the Rockets do on defense is force you to take those mid-range shots that you don't want to take, the very inefficient shots. And I mean, who who's better than taking those forced mid-range shots than Chris Paul? He's someone who loves to do that. Shea Gilgis Alexander is pretty good at the mid-range. He's good at attacking. It's really hard to throw the Thunder off their offensive game because they have so many different ways of attacking you. 
Yeah, they have a versatile way to score the basketball, like you said. They're working the mid-range game. They're starting to get Darius Baisley out there, getting him some confidence. Yeah. He scored like yeah, he scored like 20 points his last three games. So getting that confidence level with him because he's earning more minutes right now. And then you got Dennis Schroeder, who's up for sixth man of the year. And he has that ability to come off the bench and give that team a huge spark, getting 18, 19 points a game, shooting that mid-range shot like you say. He has the ability to actually knock it down. So like you said, the Houston Rockets, they may they are forcing teams to do that, but that may have play into Oklahoma City's favor. I think so, too. So, I mean, that's one of the other things, because there are a lot of teams that have a really succinct offense. They know what they're going to do with the ball. And if you force them out of their comfort zone, they're a little bit lost. You can't do that with the Thunder and the Rockets. You just know every single game what they're going to bring. They're going to, like I said, force you to take mid range and they're just going to shoot lights out on the three point line. And if they're not hitting, it's going to be very tough for them to win. And, and, and Steven Adams, I think, is going to play a huge role for the Thunder. We saw how poorly they played when, when Steven Adams missed the game. So he's going to be important for them. And Chris Paul is back in the playoffs and it's it's hard to count him out when he's in the playoffs as well. Yeah, I've seen Chris Paul game seven, San Antonio Spurs, eliminate the San Antonio Spurs from the playoffs, clutch shots. So I know what Chris Paul is able to do come playoff time when healthy. So, you know, we got to look forward to that. Like you said, and I'm going to stand 10 toes on this one. Steven Adams should average minimum, (laughs) minimum 22 points. Minimum. It should be it should be a minimum of 22 points. You're the big you're going to be the biggest guy on the floor at all times. There should be no excuse for Chris Paul. Chris Paul has the ability to find him at will. Dennis Schroeder can he can get him involved as Jay can get him involved. These three guards should be able to really be forcing Steven Adams to get as many buckets as he can against this small lineup with P.J. Tucker playing the center position at six, 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 five. You know, he he should Steven Adams should definitely average 22 points and like 15 rebounds a, a game in this series. Yeah, well, well, I'm very excited for this series and I know you are, too. So it'll be I mean, even to watch Westbrook and to face off against Jay Gillis Alexander, uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. You you have some speed on the Thunder who I think can counter at the Rockets. So I think I'll, I'll hear your predictions for this series towards the end of the podcast because I'm very excited. But this definitely isn't just a four-game series. There's no way that this is gonna, just going to be a sweep by either side, honestly. Yeah, and without Westbrook on the court for the uh, Houston Rockets, he's going to be out with that strain, uh, strain quad. So he may miss at least two games. We're going to hope it's not three, but it says few, and few is more than two. So we hope yeah. that it's we hope that it's only two games at the most. Because if it's more than that, then the Houston Rockets are going to be in deep trouble with only relying on superstar James Harden in that small ball offense. Yeah, we need every we want everyone healthy for this series because we just want the most fun, most entertaining series. So we don't we're rooting for the Thunder, but the Rockets need to be healthy or else it's it's just not fun. Then it's not fun. Uh, We'll go to the third of our big three. The big three. And we had some coaching changes uh, in the NBA this past week and one very near and dear to my heart. Oh, my goodness. They finally pulled the plug. (laughs) The Chicago Bulls got rid of head coach Jim Boylan, and it was about time, Zach. It was months too late, months late, (laughs) when the Bulls finally got rid of Gar Pax. They got rid of their GM. They got rid of their president. They brought in Arturis Karnaschovas from Denver, brought in Mark Eversley for the GM, 
took them a couple months to, I don't know what the hell they were doing, but quote unquote, evaluating Jim Boylan. I don't know what you needed to evaluate him for, <laughs> but they waited till the last day of the regular season on Friday to get rid of Jim Boylan. So now they're on the head, head coaching search. They haven't made the postseason in five years. Boylan has a horrible record as a head coach. He's a horrible pick to begin with. He had the dumbest quotes. The team played horribly under him. The stars didn't like him. Zach Levine didn't like him. So it's time for a coaching change in Chicago. And I'm very excited that they finally have a coaching search going. It would have been nice if this was a couple months ago, so they wouldn't have to compete with the likes of the Pelicans who got rid of their head coach, Alvin Gentry. So there are going to be a couple teams right now that are going to be looking for head coaches. And so it's going to be harder, at least for the Bulls, to maybe get their top team because, Zach, if you were a head coach, and this Uh-oh. is coming from a Bulls fan, I would probably go to the Pelicans over the Bulls. Well, you know what? I'll tell you like this, because that rumor mill about Brandon Ingram possibly going to Chicago <laughs> or New York, Ooh. with those rumors with those rumors buzzing because he's going to be a free agent, that's a that's a toss up, you know, and and I know that w- one of these teams in particular are going to take their time with their coaching with their coaching uh search, and so you look at the Chicago Bulls, you got to take into account who's going to be on the roster, you know, that's right. gonna that's gonna play a huge role in the Chicago Bulls uh search for the as uh, long as it's change. not campaign, as long as it's not campaign, <laughs> that is a step in the right direction for the Bulls. <laughs> And wildly, you kind of want campaign now because he was playing so well for the Suns. So yeah, he definitely played well. <laughs> 2020's topsy-turvy. But the Bulls, yes, it, th- that's the thing. It, we, if we don't know where Ingram is going to go, that makes a big difference to where these coaches want to coach. But the Bulls and Pelicans both have two young teams, but the Pelicans have Zion. And for now, they have Brandon Ingram. And they got Jackson Hayes. And they have Lonzo Ball. I mean, that is a very solid young core to have. And the Bulls have some young guys. Kobe White is a great young player. Lowry Markinen struggling a little bit. And you have Wendell Carter. So you have some of these young pieces put together, but it just seems to me, even as a Bulls fan, the Pelicans have at least a little bit of a brighter future with the players that they have. Now, the Bulls are a bigger market. They're a more storied team. You have all the tradition that comes with being the Chicago Bulls head coach. So maybe they do edge out some talent with that. But if the Bulls and Pelicans are competing for talent, it's it's going to be a bit of an issue for the Bulls to maybe get the guy that they want. And, there, and it, you know, you look at it from this perspective with the coaches, too, right? Like which coaches out there, which which job looks more appealing to the coach? You know, right. which coach Like you have the buzz of Jason Kidd potentially getting a head coaching job. Tyron Lue may get a head coaching job. There's still a Mark Jackson still out there. So you have all these you have all these uh, uh, these coaches. And so, you know, whichever job they may prefer. Way may determine uh, the future of the players too as well. I do not. I don't want the Bulls to get any recycled head coach. I, I really hate that coaching carousel thing where you have a coach who has coached teams to mediocrity for a decade or even five years, and they get fired, and then another team scoops him up, thinking it's going to be any different. And I don't want the Bulls to be that team. I want the Bulls to go searching and fishing for an assistant coach with a lot of potential or a coach that maybe didn't get an opportunity that they should have been afforded, like a Kenny Atkinson, who has the history of developing younger players and developing young players into a good team, kind of like what we see the Nets like today. So going after maybe a head coach who didn't get a fair shot or going after assistant coaches with a lot of potential is what the Bulls need to do. They, they can't just go back to the coaching carousel and pluck out a coach that has been in the league for 10, 15 years 
and has had minimum success because it's not going to work. Yeah. And then you got on the other side, the flip side for the New Orleans Pelicans. They dismissed. I didn't like this either. They dismissed Alvin Gentry. Now, granted, he had a terrible record during his time when he was there. He was 175 and 225 during his time. And he did have Anthony Davis. However, he did go to the playoffs and he was able to sweep the Portland Trailblazers as a sixth seed while the Portland Trailblazers were a third seed. So he did have that under his belt. Now, this is my problem with Alvin Gentry getting fired from the New Orleans Pelicans. I feel like it was too soon. You didn't get Zion because he missed 44 games. So you really didn't get him for a full season. I'm a firm believer being that if Alvin Gentry at least would have got a full season next year or at least half of a season next year with Zion to really see how the the uh, roster would pan out and how the season would pan out, then you fire him. But you but you know how it goes, Ben, with like a guy like David Griffin who comes in. You're going to want your own guy. You know, yeah, so like, he wants he wants the developer. He, yeah, he, he just doesn't see Gentry as someone who's going to develop the young talent, which I I don't know if I agree with that, but. He wants probably a younger coach or a coach that has the history of developing young guys. And I firmly believe that he was scapegoated. He was definitely scapegoated because we talked about on this podcast all the time about how coming into the bubble, the New Orleans Pelicans had the favorable schedule. And it was all for they've set it up. They put 12 teams in there. They were like the 12th seed or whatever. So they put all these teams in the bubble specifically for the Pelicans to have a shot to go to the playoffs so we could all see Zion perform at a high level. Now, on the counter side of that, you got David Griffin. He's not even the coach, but he's putting a a restriction on Zion so you don't even get that much production. And then you see how the players play without Zion. It's like they're not even really as motivated because it's like they know that Zion probably should be playing out here but the management is holding him back. And then you're holding Zion back and you got Alvin Gentry losing games. And now it looks like he doesn't know how to coach or know how to win games. And that puts that added hot seat type of pressure on Gentry to lose his job. Yeah. And it's, I'm very interested to see what direction the Pelicans go and same with the bulls. And they're going to be competing for, for that head coaching spot. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that because that's going to be fun to talk about once there is no basketball uh, to talk about, but Let's move on. We've got uh, Nate Jacobson is going to join us. So we'll go to that interview. All right. We want to welcome in stadiums betting analyst, Nate Jacobson. Nate, uh, appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. A pleasure to be on. NBA isn't my favorite sport, but I do love the playoffs, especially getting into it from a betting perspective. So honored to be on the show and you guys do great work. Yeah, we're very excited. Is, is quarantine been been going well for you? You know, it's been okay. Can't p- complain. Uh, miss you guys. Uh, not seeing you guys in person. Uh, the last five months was pretty crazy. But in terms of sports, it's pretty nice to see uh, a full calendar of North American sports, at least professional, has returned uh, the NHL, the NBA playing daytime. It kind of feels like March Madness, which is what we missed out on five months ago. And I'm a big soccer fan, so I've had that for a while. And also getting into golf betting. Uh, so there's been plenty of sports going on in the NBA playoffs. Uh, really excited for that to start. Just kind of another thing, excitement. And it looks like the next two weeks, there's going to be games 10 hours a day. So can't complain about that. Ooh, we are we are incredibly excited about that. Um, but let's so let's focus on that and kind of look about what's been happening before the playoffs in the NBA um, and looking at the regular season games. 
And because especially towards the end of that regular eight game season for most of these teams, there were some teams that were firmly into the playoffs. So we saw them play a lot of their bench guys extended minutes. Were there some challenges for for betters like yourself or even people that you know of when they were betting some of these games in, in the regular season since there were some teams that were motivated and some teams that weren't? Yeah, I think the first week it was uh, pretty normal when it came to how teams approached it. They kind of wanted to get acclimated to the bubble, playing competitive games. We saw a lot of teams playing their best players. But it was the second week that was really puzzling. If you just kind of entered the NBA market without much knowledge of what was going on in the league, you'd probably be pretty confused why teams like the Spurs, teams like the Kings, teams like the um, Phoenix Suns, which we'll talk about, were big favorites against um, solidified playoff teams. And that's because it was a lot of playoff motivation, a lot of teams who were already in the playoffs wanting to play some of their deeper rosters to see what they had for the playoffs. So because of that, the lines were completely out of whack. Um, and even in this load management era of the NBA, where you really have to be paying attention to the team news right up until tip-off, it was pretty difficult for me to figure out what to bet. And I'm usually pretty selective when it comes to the NBA anyway. Like I looked at what I've been tweeting out and I only bet on five games in the last two weeks in the NBA, which I know is a very low amount given how many games there have been a day, but it's really hard to get involved and chase some really inflated numbers on some must teams that needed to win. But it was also scary to bet on these teams that were going to be playing their second and third units at times in the second half where you're not going to trust a team for 48 minutes with very little to play for. Now, we, you mentioned the Phoenix Suns, and that was a team who we obviously seen go undefeated in the bubble at 8-0. And, and they also went 8-0 against the spread and straight up from a betting perspective. How crazy was that to see? Yeah, that was crazy when you think about it, considering the, the Phoenix Suns have been basement dwellers in the NBA, and they've had a lot of high lottery picks, but their front office and organization is a mess, and they always seem like they have a coach every year or two. Uh, so 8-0 and in a vacuum looks very impressive, especially against the spread. When you can beat the expectation, you know that you're not just um, a good team. You're actually a great team compared to the eyes of the betting market. But if you kind of look back at some of their games, especially the last four games, Miami Heat, uh, they were a four-point favorite because the Heat had some guys injured. And then the last three games against the Thunder, Sixers, and Mavs, they were all pretty significant favorites in that game. Um, I know in particular that Thunder game, I think the Thunder had six of their seven top leading scorers out from that game. And Chris Paul was only going to play uh, 24 minutes or one half, basically. So with the Suns having all that motivation and they're playing teams and getting lucky to play teams uh, that didn't have anything to play for, like the 76ers and the Mavs, uh, the, the Suns kind of got lucky this time around, but they did have some impressive wins against the Mavericks in their second game. And then when they beat that, um, a Clippers team that was pretty much um, motivated at full strength, the Clippers were a nine point favorite in that game. So very impressive for the Suns. The problem is maybe some of those results were a little bit phony just because the teams they weren't play they were playing against weren't motivated. The Suns were motivated. And because of that, I'm thinking next season and whatever regular season we have in the NBA, they're going to be a little bit overvalued, or at least you're not going to get value on the Phoenix Suns when it comes to over their season win total, maybe the yes to make the playoffs. So everyone knows what the Suns are. 
There probably won't be value on them going forward in next season, but definitely a fun team and probably the story of the bubble other than that fun battle for the uh, eight seed in the Western Conference. So I know you've got some strategies up your sleeve for, for NBA playoff betting, and now the playoffs are starting. They're starting the day this, this podcast comes out. What can you tell people, and what do you think are some good strategies betting-wise that people can use for these NBA playoff games? Yeah, I think uh, kind of the basic thing in the NBA is something called uh, the zigzag theory. So whenever a team wins a game, um, you go against them in game two. So if, uh, so say tomorrow, if the, um, if the Clippers blow out the Mavericks, I know right now uh, for that game on Monday night, the Clippers are a six-point favorite. Um, maybe look for the Mavericks in game two. Maybe that line goes up to, especially the Clippers look good, Clippers minus seven, minus seven and a half. And because the Mavericks look bad, and they know they need to play well to get back in the series, maybe you can catch them getting a little bit extra value. Same thing with the over-under. If a game goes way over the total or under the total in one game, maybe going the opposite the other game because the line will be adjusted um, based on the first game results. So I think a lot of, um, especially these first-round series where there's some mismatches, kind of look to wait it out and bet game two using the zigzag theory. And if it keeps zigging and zagging, then you can take the team that won game one in game three to cover. Um, and th that's one strategy. I think a basic strategy you look for in the NBA betting. Some other things to go to NBA wise later in the series, I would say between games five and seven, look to bet under in those games, especially if the series is two, two, three, two game seven, three, three. Uh, it's going to be a lot tighter defense a lot longer possessions, most likely. It just, the players are going to be more focused defensively, um, especially in second halves of games. Sometimes if it's game six and the first half goes higher scoring, looking to get involved at halftime, second half unders are a way to go just because the, the game tightens up a lot in the, uh, in the second half of these high leverage games. Uh, one thing in the NBA that has been very popular the last few years, and maybe this doesn't apply to the bubble because um, it's no change of home court, but a team that wins the first two games at home usually bet against them on the, on the road in game three because that team down 0-2 has everything to play for. I remember one year where if you bet that team that was down 0-2 in game three at home, if you bet them first quarter, first half full game, that you pretty much ran the table every year it was so significant of a trend that bookmakers were adjusting the lines where if there was a a team that maybe was a three-point favorite in game three down 0-2 at home they ended up for the first half line also being a three-point favorite just because people were pounding the first half knowing that team had a uh, pretty much their season to play for and they were going to get their best 24 minutes so i'm i'm not sure if that's going to apply to the bubble but that's something i would I would look for maybe before if maybe the market forgot about it or the bookmakers forgot about it. Um, and something I want your guys' thought of, I was thinking this weekend, and this might just apply to the bubble, but bet against teams that go down 3-0 or maybe down 3-1. Um, so maybe they're down in the series 2-1, they lose game four, and now it's 3-1. They're in the bubble. How much do you think teams are going to want to really fight back when they've been in this bubble for so long, or you think they're looking forward to getting back to their family. 
I just think that could be something where a team, when they know they probably don't have a good chance of uh, advancing, that they might mail it in in game four and five and look forward to uh, spending time with your families. What do you guys think about that? That has to be on the on the back of their minds. I would imagine, especially in a situation like this where they're they've been there for a while. They definitely missed their families and it's not a normal situation where, you know, you play a couple games at home, you can go and see them say hi and you sleep in your own bed. It may be one of those things where they just said, you know, there's always next year. Next year's coming up sooner than we think it's going to be a short off season. And we'll just get back to work and, and get ready for the start of the season, which is going to be sooner than normal. I think for me, uh, Nate, it depends on the matchup. Okay. So if, the Orlando Magic is down 3-0 in that series. I think they can. I think they'll pack it up. I think if it's out, I think if it's a team out west with like the Blazers, if they're down 3-0, I think they're gonna still keep pushing. I don't think Damian Lillard would just just pack it up and not try to win at least yeah. one game against the Los Angeles Lakers. So I think it just depends on the on the matchup. And I I bring the example of one and eight on both sides because I know that that one eight in the West is gonna be way more interesting than the one out east. Yeah, definitely. Although. <laughs> The, the, interesting with that example, I wonder if the Orlando Magic, even if they were down 3-0, if they do give a little bit more of an effort, knowing the uh, trip out of the bubble is just down the road at your probably <laughs> where they where they live in Orlando. But maybe like a team like Brooklyn, who who has had some success, they've kind of been fun. They're kind of showing what they can be once uh, Kyrie and Durant joins them, health hopefully healthy next year. But if they go down 3-0 to Toronto. Or maybe they steal a game, but then they go down 3-1. I could see Toronto just kind of wanting to put Brooklyn away, go for the kill, get some rest, maybe enjoy the uh, Disney World amenities uh, before they continue with their next series, which would be a much more difficult series. So I think that's just something to consider, that it wouldn't be in a normal playoffs. But I think there is something to it where teams might get a little bit tired of the bubble, and if they know that they are not going to advance and there's no pride on the line like you mentioned with the Blazers that it might just be like let's pack it in especially if in the second half they're down by a lot you could just kind of live bet that team who's about to advance and uh, hopefully get home safely speaking of live betting what are your thoughts on live betting during these bubble games as opposed to before tip-off yeah I, I like the idea of live betting not just in basketball but but every sport, and I think basketball, especially when in a game that there's so many runs and it's so volatile, there's so many points where if a team that you kind of like before the game, maybe you're, you like them, but it's not enough to make a pregame bet on, they go down maybe 10 to 2 early or something, and you can get an adjusted line uh, because usually these uh, lines are updating, um, depending on your site, maybe while the game is going on, at least at the very least during a TV timeout. Uh, so I think live betting is definitely a way to go. Kind of see how the teams look, especially in such an uncertain uh, atmosphere here in the bubble on a neutral court. I still think there is a place for in -game, or pregame betting, especially if you think a team is going to come out really hot. Uh, but live betting is certainly one thing. I think in, uh, a lot of betters should look at if they have the availability. It is a difficult thing to do because it's almost like you're playing a stock market while the market's going on. You're trying to, you know, buy low, sell high at the right time. Uh, so that could get a little bit stressful. But one thing with live betting, which is also difficult, which makes it easier for these bubble games, is now every game is going to be isolated in their own time slot. 
So you're not going to have to worry about watching two or three games trying to live bet. You could solely focus on watching one game at a time and kind of seeing how the gameplay is going and uh, just kind of firing away based on based on feel or based on some statistics. So if you have the box score open, so it will be a lot easier to live bet just because there isn't going to be two or three games at the same time. And there are all these games will be on national TV. All right. So we got the live betting and we've got the pregame betting. Another thing people like to do for the NBA, at least is player props. Um, how, how seriously should people consider doing player props and what's kind of a good way to approach them for, for some of these playoff games? Yeah, I, I think you definitely want to target player props, especially the NBA is a very watched league. Oh, as soon as news breaks, the line's going to adjust if it does impact the line. It's very hard to beat closing NBA sides and sometimes even totals. Uh, it just, you know, the betting market's efficient and they're not going to be wrong too much. If they are wrong, then they're going to pay the price. So I think one place to attack is these player props because they're not as focused on uh, the bookmakers aren't as focused on the player props as they are moving sides and totals. Uh, so I think it's definitely a way to go if you have an edge, especially if you're into fantasy sports and you um, feel like you're more comfortable betting on players as opposed to teams. Uh, I also think w- with um, player props where you could try to get an edge is just like knowing teams rotations. You should look and maybe if a player is going to miss the game targeting his not maybe his backup, but, but maybe the second leading scorer on the team. So if there was a situation like, I guess, with the Rockets where Russell Westbrook, a good chance he'll be missing um, the beginning of the series against Oklahoma City. Um, maybe not a perfect example because they're going to inflate the James Harden point totals. But like look for maybe whether their, sec- their third guy or something to go over his point total um, on the Rockets, depending on who you who you prefer. So I think targeting the player props makes a lot of sense. Also, um, with player props, maybe fading some outlier performances. I don't know if this TJ Warren phenomenon is real, <laughs> and he's going to get a tough he's going to get a tough matchup in the next series against Jimmy Butler. But everyone's seen TJ Warren absolutely go off, and I think you had 53 points in that that opening game for the Pacers. So maybe his point numbers might be a little bit inflated because of what people saw. But now in the playoffs where it's going to be a lot tighter games, every possession matters for the most part. Maybe you could go under some of his uh, player props, especially with one of the best wing defenders and Jimmy Butler um, guarding him for uh, probably a majority of the game. Okay, so one series, uh, Nate, that I believe is unique from a betting perspective is the Jazz Nuggets uh, series. And they don't have uh, Mike Conley that being the uh, Utah Jazz. And I believe it's going to go seven. It's been kind of predicted to go seven games. How should betters approach this series? Yeah, I think really uh, the approach for this series changed a lot um, on Sunday early when we found news that Mike Conley uh, was leaving the bubble in Orlando uh, to attend the birth of his child in Columbus. So I thought the line was maybe a little bit short. I kind of liked the Nuggets, but it was only minus 210, minus 220. Since that news, it's gone up where I'm looking to about minus 280. So it's quite an adjustment for the loss of Mike Conley. Probably too much of an adjustment for me to want to get involved um, in the Utah Jazz, and or sorry, in the Denver Nuggets. And one of the reasons I kind of want to stay away from this series, at least to start, is these two teams were teams I wanted to fade 
um, in this bubble. These are the two teams that probably have the biggest home court advantage edge in the NBA because they play at a high elevation. So in the regular season, their home record is probably a little bit inflated because teams aren't giving a full effort knowing that they might get tired in the higher altitude and kind of, you know, you know, especially in the load management era where it's a log season, why uh, play some of your starters who you might want to rest where they're going to get more tired. So the Nuggets and Jazz were always better regular season teams for me who you could fade in the playoffs. And fr- frankly, I wish I could – bet against both these teams and i think the winner of the series i will definitely be against um especially if it's the clippers i mean you might not get um too much of a discount on the series price but they are much better regular season teams and i guess the reason why i would prefer the nuggets in this series and i know you guys have definitely talked about it but just kind of the um issues that the jazz are going with the internal stuff with rudy gobert and donovan mitchell Bojan Bogdanovic being out um, uh, for this bubble and uh, now without their point guard Mike Conley who was brought in as like hopefully the final piece for them to be a a championship uh, contender Uh, so just kind of a to make the long answer short I'm going to stay away from this series Uh, but if the Jazz maybe pull off an upset in game one maybe look to bet the Nuggets and it adjusts a number, but I can only look the Nuggets. Unfortunately, because of the Connolly news, the line has gone a little bit too far where I'm not comfortable laying almost $3 on Denver. Shall teams take the over or under in this series? The over or under? I, you know, I'm not a big totals guy in the NBA, but this will go back to my zigzag theory where maybe if game one goes over, look to go under in game two just because – uh, maybe a team will will or the coaches will be upset with how um, the teams played defense in that game and kind of ask them to more clamp down on defense. I will say the Nuggets may be an interesting team just having a, a new dynamic with Michael Porter Jr. as maybe a, a third or fourth option behind Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. So maybe the Nuggets are a little bit undervalued in general. But still, that altitude thing for me is huge because they're just maybe not as good as the record shows uh, most years because they get a lot of freebies at home as teams kind of um, rest players um, when they're playing in higher elevation. Okay, so what are your uh, game one strategies for the NBA bubble? I know it's going to sound boring, but I'm going to wait it out. I'm definitely going to watch the games. I'm going to look to get involved live. I'm going to probably look to get involved halftime. But I think game two is the time I like to get most involved. And I'll share all my um, picks on Twitter at Nate Jacobson one. I'll tweet out any official plays I do. I know I've been betting more hockey uh, this time of year, but now with the NBA playoffs, we're going to look to up the volume there. Uh, But really, I think, um, as I said, NBA watched a lot. Everyone knows all the information about the NBA. Bookmakers know that exact same information. So the lines are pretty much right on for me. So I would look to bet live if you have a lean on something um, and then also look to bet um, just to bet second halves. Just watch the games and hopefully you can capitalize off some overreactions in game two. Uh, one game that is interesting to me um, that, you know, the series price on Miami, Indiana is Heat minus 335, the Pacers plus 250 the other way. But the Heat are only a four-point favorite in game one um, to win their minus um, 
167. So I just feel like there's such a discrepancy from the game one spread from the series price. Maybe I'm missing something there where they think the Heat uh, might start slow but are going to have the upper hand going forward. Uh, But maybe the Heat minus four against the Pacers, if you truly believe that series price should be minus 335. But I'll tweet anything I really like. Uh, But for me, it's mostly going to be live betting game one uh, because I will be watching these games as all these games are on national TV. Um, And then also at the same time, look to hopefully find an opportunity to bet game two if there's an overreaction and use that zigzag theory. So you did mention that he Pacers series. um, And I know you sent me a list of all the prices for these for these first round games or for the first round series. Um, other than that, he Pacers one. Is there anyone that catches your eye in terms of, of good numbers, good value? Yeah, so there's definitely a few you could throw out. I think the the Bucks Magic series you could certainly throw out because I'm not going to risk a hundred dollars to win one dollar on Milwaukee, no matter how good uh, the Bucks are. Uh, one way you could approach that series, if you do think the Bucks are clearly the better team and you think they're going to sweep them, you can bet. On over under uh, under four and a half games played in that series at minus 143 if you think the Bucks will complete that sweep uh, so that's one way to look I think um, instead of just looking at the series price you can find different ways to bet it uh, one thing that we definitely have to talk about because I think it's probably the the biggest talk uh, going into the first round of playoffs is this Lakers trailblazers price the Lakers right now minus 420 blazers plus 315. Uh, it's been quite a, a, a rise, I would say, from the Blazers. Their their power rating or their Vegas number has definitely increased more than anyone during this NBA bubble, maybe outside the sun, but they're not involved. Um, I think maybe you can be getting a discount at the Lakers. I don't know if I'm going to risk $420 to win 100 on the Lakers, but a one way to approach it, um, I'm looking, if you think the Lakers are going to win the series by one and a half games, so if you think they're going to win 4-0, 4-1, 4-2, you can bet the Lakers at minus 210. That's a little bit more reasonable way to approach it. Um, if you think the Lakers are going to win in four or five games, you can bet Lakers minus two and a half at plus 125. So those are kind of the things I'm going to be looking at. Uh, trying to find ways to bet the Lakers from now until their series opens on, 220, um, on Tuesday night. But because everyone has seen this Trailblazers emergence in the bubble uh, fetching that eight seed and, and and not just getting the eight seed, but getting the eight seed to win the playoff play in game instead of having to win two games where it looked like the Grizzlies were going to definitely get the eight seed. Uh, but also the Lakers struggling in this bubble. I think there could be some value betting on L.A. because, you know, when the playoffs start, LeBron James is going to get his best effort and having a guy with Anthony Davis next to him uh, makes is going to make it very difficult for the trailblazers to guard both. So I'm going to look for the Lakers um, to get creative and bet their series prices. And I'll tweet out any picks, but uh, other than that, I think the series are pretty dead on. One thing I'm going to look at, if there's a team I think is going to win the series, or I would lean to win the series and they lose game one, bet them at an adjusted series price. So maybe not before the series get involved, but while the series gets, goes on, they update the price right after the game's, uh, you have 48 hours to digest it, so plenty of opportunities later on. I guess my my last word of advice, which ties in the last two questions, is don't feel you need to make a bet 
just to make a bet. Let the board come to you. Let the value come to you. There's going to be plenty of opportunities the next two months, and you don't need to force it just to have action. Um, there's going to be a lot of chances um, to, to make bets on the NBA, but just you don't have to uh, force a bet that you don't feel comfortable making because usually there's an, a way where the, the gameplay comes to you and the odds will fall in your favor. Okay, Nate, we want to thank you, sir, for all this great insight on this sports betting as we get closer and closer to these NBA playoffs and this bubble situation. Got to thank Mr. Nate, Mr. Nate, Mr. Nate Jacobson, <laughs> our, our digital content producer and sports betting analyst here at Stadium. You can follow him on Twitter at NateJacobson1 and also check out his, his newsletter. You want to plug your newsletter and give the folks a little more detail on your betting newsletter. Yeah, sure. So in the stadium newsletter, which you could subscribe to on the watchstadium.com website, just plug in your email on the right hand side of the page, the little widget. Um, every Tuesday morning, I give out my golf picks for the upcoming week, uh, usually three players I'm looking to bet on. And also I do uh, North American sports, the hockey and the NBA on Thursday morning. I've been doing mostly hockey just because the NBA regular season, you really want to wait. You wanted to wait till tip off to see who was in and who was out. But for the playoffs, I think there'll be more of a clear picture on the team news. So I'll definitely include some NBA picks in that newsletter on Thursday. But also the best way is this anything I bet in these uh, NBA playoffs, I've been tweeting out in a, in a thread that I have pinned on my profile. So just look at that if you want the quickest picks and access right away so you can bet whatever I bet right away if you care to fade or care to follow you could also fade me but uh the nba i'm very selective so i i really with the nba if i don't feel comfortable betting it i won't bet it I, it's stuff i really believe in uh, i don't try to just force a pick just just for action and especially with live betting now there's no need to force anything when you can get involved a few minutes in if uh if there's a number that pops up all right well thank you mr nate for joining us on points in the pain podcast and we'll talk to you soon sir Awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Ben and Zach. It was a pleasure. Uh, enjoy the playoffs. And uh, if you need me on any time, I'm here and uh, enjoy the rest of the playoffs and good luck to everyone. All right. Good interview with Nate. <laughs> Glad he came on. Um, let's start with uh, what the NBA Twitter is talking about. What it do, baby? Yeah. This week, Zach, because there's put, a lot going on. Listen, put some respect on Carmelo Anthony's name. Everyone, if you work in sports media, if you own TV and you own camera, you need to put some respect on Carmelo Anthony's name. Like, it's just that simple. He has played exceptionally well for the Portland Trail Blazers, and I feel like he's the unsung hero for the Blazers entering to the, entering the playoffs. Interesting. And I know you had a huge Twitter argument, Twitter conversation. <laughs> Throughout we'll call the day, it a conversation. Conversation. <laughs> uh, and you were you were defending Carmelo, and it's interesting because people people loved to to talk about Carmelo when he's doing well with the Blazers on Saturday, and I think he has played very well in the bubble, and his bubble stats back that up. He's played well in the clutch in the bubble with the Blazers. His offensive rating is off the charts, really good for the Blazers. Um, and, and I think he, he is a perfect piece for that team because they don't rely on him to score. They rely on Dame to score, but 
we've seen in years past, you can't just rely on Dame because he does get locked down defensively at times. So you need someone like we saw, CJ McCollum. He went off towards the end of the game. So he's another option. And Carmelo is just making shot after making shot at the mid-range, getting to the line, taking a little bit of pressure off of Dame. And that's really all you need in the clutch for the Blazers. You need just some extra help so Dame isn't just wearing himself out down the stretch scoring. Melo has six threes in the clutch, in the bubble, Ben. That's the most by any player in the bubble. And he's shooting 54% from three-point clutch attempts. He is the man. Put some respect on Carmelo Anthony's name. He's knocked down important shots for the Blazers throughout this playoff run for them to try to, you know, enter that eighth seed and play the Lakers. And he's been able to accomplish that. And like I said, I believe he's the unsung hero because of that. Yeah, we've seen Dame dropping 50 and 60, which we'll talk about. But shots and moments, Melo has done that. He's, He's definitely done that for the Blazers. He's just he's in the perfect spot for the way he plays and what the Blazers need. You could not have found a better match, especially because, yeah, especially because the team doesn't really care about defense. And Carmelo is especially now as he's older, he's just not a defensive player. And that's not an issue for the team because the whole team doesn't play good defense. So they're not you know, they're not having to substitute him out for a better defender because it's just going to be bad defense team defense anyway. So he's going to be in in the clutch moments. He's going to be in the starting lineup. And he is just that perfect presence for them when they need a shot, because you get Carmelo Anthony 10 to 17 feet away from the basket. It's cash money every time. (laughs) I love how you said that. Yeah, man, Carmelo Anthony, I know he's looking forward to playing against his fellow, you know, Patreon with uh, LeBron James. I know he's going to try to elevate his game even higher come playoff time based off strictly that alone. I know he's going to look LeBron James in the eyes and tell himself, I'm still on the same level as you. And you're supposed to have that type of confidence if you're a Hall of Famer like Carmelo Anthony, top 15 in scoring, and he's been able to do everything the Blazers have wanted him to do while coming in into the bubble. All right, what else are people talking about on Twitter? Well, uh, it was interesting because I think, you know, they didn't have a point, but it was fun to talk about where people are upset that the Suns didn't make the playoffs after going undefeated in the bubble, 8-0, and they still did not get a shot at the playing game, and they're not going to be in the playoffs. You have people saying it's unfair. Well, the Suns played like crap before the bubble, so this is, I mean, <laughs> this is just reaping what you sow at this point. They were not a good team before this, so they dug themselves in too large of a hole before the bubble started that it was going to be very difficult to pull themselves out of the hole, and they needed the Blazers and the Grizzlies and the Spurs to lose one more game, and they just didn't get that time, and they didn't get that opportunity. And I don't think it's like unfair that they didn't get that opportunity, but the Suns are going to be a good team in the future. And I think we saw that here. So if they're going to take anything from the way they played is the future is very bright in Phoenix. Right. <laughs> Definitely bright. And I'll even say this. A lot of people probably won't even look at to look too much into this, but DeAndre Aiden missing those 25 games earlier in the season, like that played a huge role into the Phoenix Suns season. You know, they didn't have their guy. Obviously, they needed him. If you look at the bubble, they went 8-0, and and he was very important outside of Devin Booker to that offense and to that team. And so, like you said, moving forward, that's going to be something for the league to actually pay attention to, the Phoenix Suns. You know, Charles Barkley even said it, too. This is a team, like, you know, we talked about how Draymond Green said Devin Booker need to get, <laughs> need to get out of Phoenix. But, like, on the flip side, like Chuck said, 
you know, that's a team with a lot of promise. You know, Kelly Umbre, you know, you got Ricky Rubio, you have Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, you got young pieces that if you got a coach like Monty Williams that's gonna develop these guys and you know get the more get them to have the more confidence that they need to be able to compete night in and night out against any team moving forward, then they'll be in a good position next year. All right, last thing about NBA Twitter. What did CJ McCollum do? Oh, my back, my spinal, <laughs> my back, my spinal. <laughs> so he referenced after the game, you know, he played a he, he played very well in their outing against the uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies to close out and clinch that eighth seed. And, you know, post game, you know, he had a little something to say. You know, he referenced because, you know, he's dealing with that bad back right now. He has like a broken like chip in his back or something like that. And so right now, you know, he had that 29 points last night. And, you know, after the game, he he referenced, you know, to Mike Tyson after he won one of his uh, <laughs> boxing matches. You know, Mike Tyson goes, my spinal, my back, my spinal. <laughs> And so CJ McCullough, he referenced that and the Twitter and the Twitter just was buzzing after that. So I commend CJ McCullough for, you know, throwing that reference out there during post game. And he played well, you know, he shot uh, 50 and 40 and he knocked down all his free throws and they closed the game out against Memphis. He did. He, I mean, he deserved all the all the praise that he got and he deserved to make a Mike Tyson reference because why not? It's <laughs> CJ McCullough after going off in a playing game. Uh, stat of the week. Zach is mm. about our boy Damian Lillard. It just doesn't stop, does it? Like we just had him on. He just we just had him on last week for the 53 points. And Amina Smith, you know, she was talking. Don't come for Dame because he's gonna, you know, bring it. And that's obviously what he did this week too, as well against the Dallas Mavericks, dropping 61 points. Man, man, it's just unbelievable to watch. At this point, it should be stat of the week presented by Damian Lillard because <laughs> he's been on it so much. I mean, this is his segment at this point, and this is his segment, and I don't. And I think that it's going to be probably his segment next week. I would imagine he's going to have another game where he goes off for over 40 or over 50 points. Yeah, he's going to play lights out against the Blazers. I mean, against the uh, the Lakers because they're going to be missing guys like Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo, who are good defensive players in their respective right. And they could actually give you know, a lot of pressure on Damian Lillard. But this 61 points, man, he joined some great company, Damian Lillard. He joined Will Chamberlain as the only player in NBA history to score 60 points in a season three times, Ben. He scored 63 times this season. Wow. It's just there's not enough you can say about the guy. He is incredibly fun to watch. He's an insanely talented long-range shooter. And he carries the Blazers on his back constantly, except for that one playing game with C.J. McCollum and Carmelo is – it's Dame's team. And someone was saying on Twitter, you know, it's usually Dame has to make comebacks because the team is usually down late in the game, which is a fair point. You know, he yep. wouldn't have to make these Dame time moments if the team wasn't down. But the team does usually find themselves down a lot in these games. And it's Dame's responsibility to go off and, and bring him back. And he usually does. Yeah, and that 61-point outing was fantastic. And they obviously got the win. And that had put them over to five and two before obviously winning that last game against the Memphis, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. And so something incredible even happened with this 61 point outing, Ben. So, you know, Damian Lillard has his own shoes with Adidas. And so after the game, when he dropped 61 points on the Dallas Mavericks, 
Adidas decided to mark down Damian Lillard's sneakers to $61 for a one-day flash sale. Can you believe it? That's great. You might as well. That's a great way to promote him. $61 you know, sneakers? I take that. Yeah, I wish I would have had the opportunity to uh, buy some. I missed that opportunity because it was a one-day sale, but I definitely could yeah. use some hoop shoes like some some $61 Damian Lillard's. i go with oh, those. Oh, yeah. They're better than the New Balance. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I was the type of guy that bought those $10, um, the Starberry shoes for $10. Those were great the Ben Wallace shoes. I definitely had some strawberries. Yeah. We had we had those. We had strawberries for team shoes in like the seventh grade. A lot of people laughed at us, but we almost were undefeated in those shoes. So listen, shout out I to the strawberries. Those those were great shoes. And, and listen, to put Damian Lillard sixty one dollars shoes, I think that's that's awesome too. You get you get people who probably couldn't afford them to to maybe have a chance to afford them, and for exactly. good cause because it's you know honoring Dame's sixty one points. <laughs> um, let's do overreaction. Arnold. Or not. <laughs> What's the overreaction? What are we overreacting to this week? Ooh-wee. Oklahoma City eliminates the Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets that's led by, you know, the leading scorer in the NBA, James Hart. You know, everybody loves James Hart <clears throat> except us. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. We, Oklahoma City Thunder eliminates the Houston Rockets in the first round of the bubble playoffs. Is that an overreaction? Does OKC eliminate Houston? Um. I don't think it's an overreaction. And we talked a little bit about it, too. Is I don't think it's an overreaction to say OKC will win. Is it a long shot? Yes, it, it is a long shot. Um, but it's definitely not an overreaction. I think OKC has as good of a shot as anyone else in the playoffs right now to pull off the upset. And it does help that it's the four and five seed matchup. But I think OKC is built to give Houston problems. Um, so I do think OKC especially if Westbrook is going to be out for a few games, I think OKC is, is more than capable of pulling off that upset in the first round. Yeah. The Houston Rockets missing Russell Westbrook will be the key factor into this series, not having Russell Westbrook and having that extra pressure added on James Harden to have the ball in his hand, practically every possession. That's going to be so much wear and tear on him because the Oklahoma city are going to throw any kind of bodies at him as they can. Even the, the young Baisley, they're going to throw SGA at him. They're going to do whatever they can to, you know, put that added pressure on Harden to limit his offense. You know, he's going to be shooting high volume threes. He's going to be trying to attack the basket and draw those fouls. And so Oklahoma City is going to be trying to do the best they can to throw different bodies at him because they don't have a Russell Westbrook who will be able to just attack the basket at will as soon as James Harden dishes him the ball and add that pressure on Oklahoma City defense. So, yeah, the Oklahoma City Thunder are in good shape without Russell Westbrook being out, you know, those two games at least. Yeah, and they're they're as in good of a shape as any team right now who's the underdog to pull off the upset in the series. And and I don't really know of any. I mean, maybe the Heat. I guess the Heat is the five seed over the Pacers. I guess that would that's technically an upset. It's weird because a lot of people <laughs> feel like the Heat are the better team than the Pacers. But the Thunder beating the Rockets would be a very big deal uh, in the world of basketball, especially with how how specifically the Rockets were built for this time for the playoffs, for running and yep. gunning, and playing a young team like the Thunder, it would definitely be a big upset. So, no, not, I would say it's not an overreaction uh, to say that they could beat Houston in the first round. Um, and finally, Zach, to end this, uh, we got our picks. What games, picks uh, what games yeah, picks of the week, but it'll pick a series. We'll pick one series, make a bold prediction, um, and, and give, the people, uh, give the people a hot take. 
Well, you know, I'm rolling with the overreaction. All right. <laughs> I like it. I'm rolling with the overreactions. You know, so last week, you know, I picked Portland to beat the uh, Dallas Mavericks, and they took care of business. So I'm three and zero on bubble picks. So we'll you see are. how. We'll see how how I am with this series. This is a whole series instead of just one game. But I'm going out on a limb here, and I'm just going to go with the overreaction that Oklahoma City beats the Houston Rockets in the first round. They take care of business, and I'm going to say it goes six. So I'm going to say Oklahoma City takes care of the Houston Rockets in six. Look at that. All right. I'm gonna, this, I think this is an even bolder prediction, but I'm going to say Clippers-Mavericks goes seven games. Clippers probably are going to win the series, but I think it goes seven games. And I'm very excited to see uh, Luka Doncic playoff mode against a team that people think can win the NBA finals. Um, So I think that's going to be a series that does go seven games. Now, you got to give me a little more game and a little more detail on why you strongly feel that the Dallas Mavericks can take the second seed Los Angeles Clippers to seven games. So I... I so I think the Mavs, they're turning slowly into the same type of offense that Houston runs, where okay. they just spread everyone out on the perimeter and they just shoot lights out. You've seen Dorian Finney-Smith shoot lights out, um, Tim Hardaway Jr. shooting lights out, and you, obviously Luka, we know, can do those step-back threes. So this is a team that's really developing into the type of team that can really come back, even if they're down because of their lights out shooting. Now, the Clippers defense is going to be an issue, but I've been a little bit disappointed with the way the Clippers have played defense in the bubble. So I think this is a Mavericks team that at times can overwhelm the Clippers. Um, they just need to hit their shots. They've definitely had parts of games and games itself where they've been cold from three. But I do think the Mavs have the firepower and the star power to to take it to the Clippers. I don't think they're going to win the series, but I think they can push it to seven. Now, on the counter side, I'll say this. Now, Luka Doncic, I know that's your boy, 21, you know, superstar, year two already. Against the Clippers, Luka Doncic got some good numbers. 29.7 rebounds, 7 assists. It's very good, right? Yeah. You would say. On the counter side, however, he's only shooting 42%. He's shooting 27 from deep. And he has 15 turnovers through three games against the Clippers. So that's something a little – that's a little pressure on uh, – on Mr. Uh, Donkic here. And that's why I, I said earlier in the podcast that, you know, your boy Porzingis, the unicorn, he has to be a uh, lights out to, have, to give that less pressure on the boy, Luka Donkic. He does. He needs to step up every single game and, and he needs to rebound really well. And, and I think that's how, that's how you get to the Clippers. And I, and I do think, I think the Mavs have the chance to do it. I really do. So that concludes this edition of Points in the Paint podcast, Ben. You know, it's been great having Nate on. You know, he gave us that great insight on gambling and, you know, what to look for as we get closer into these playoff games in the bubble. We want to thank Nate. You know, follow him on Twitter as well. Make sure you follow Shams on Stadium for all your great NBA news. Follow Zach Brazzerhouse and Ben Winstein, of course, on Twitter, too, just to keep you around the latest with the Points in the Paint podcast. Follow Stadium on Twitter as well. And make sure you follow the other Stadium podcast, Trash and Treasure, with Amina and Felder. They come out every Thursday. And again, we want to thank Amina Smith for being on last week's podcast. You hear from us next time.